Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. Strange things have been lurking near Alton long before the community gained its reputation for spooks, spirits, and things that go bump in the night. In the early days of the settlement, witches ran rampant, casting spells and bedeviling the local residents. One story told of a boy who was very sick with an illness that no doctor could cure. He remained in bed for more than a month, growing weaker with each passing day. One afternoon, a neighbor stopped by to see the family and told the boy's mother that he had been witched. There was nothing a doctor could do for him. He suggested that they look inside the pillow the boy had been sleeping on. When they did, they found the feathers inside of it had formed into the shape of a wreath, but the wreath was not yet complete. Because it had not made a full circle, the boy might still live. The wreath was removed from the pillow and placed on a chair, and the boy's mother beat the feather wreath until it was destroyed. The next day, an old lady who lived nearby was confined to her bed. She had been, the story said, badly beaten by an unknown assailant with a rope. The boy, on the other hand, was cured of his strange illness and made a full recovery. Another story told of an old woman who lived on a nearby farm. She was elderly, cantankerous, and kept a dozen cats or so, so naturally neighbors assumed she was a witch. One summer, all of the cows in the neighborhood stopped giving milk. Suspicious of the old woman, a woman began spying on her and noticed that she kept several towels hanging on her back porch. The woman saw her walk outside one morning and start squeezing the towels until she had four large buckets of milk. Rumors claim the old woman sometimes took the shape of a black cat. The son of a neighbor had apparently shot at the cat when he saw it near the cows in the barn, but he was sure he'd hit it, but the cat ran away. The next morning, the old lady's hands were said to have been crippled up. This is not the scariest encounter. 
A neighbor decided to wait for the black cat to return. He was prepared. He had melted down a silver dime and molded it into a bullet. He loaded in his rifle and waited inside the barn night after night. Finally, the cat returned and he shot it. The animal let out a scream and disappeared into the night. The next morning, the neighbor called at the old lady's house, just being neighborly, I'm sure, and found her dead in her bed. She had been shot, but had managed to crawl into her bed. Some local boys decided to follow the blood trail that led to the cabin, and it went all the way to the barn of the neighbor who'd shot the cat with his silver bullet. Another very unusual story of the area concerned a monster, or a ghost, or something, which roamed around a place called Holloway Hill. The creature became known locally as the Bundle. According to the stories, the hill was a wooded area that was crossed by an old, infrequently traveled road. People began to tell a story about a big white bundle that apparently looked like a white cloth bag that came out of the woods at the top of the hill and tumbled down to the road. Farmers who passed by an open wagon suddenly found the bundle sitting next to them on the seat. Riders on horseback would be startled when the white bundle hopped onto the saddle behind them, spooking not only the rider, but the horse as well. There was a local postal carrier who laughed at the story and told everyone he was convinced it wasn't true. One evening as he was driving home, his wagon broke down at the foot of the hill. He was sure that he could fix it, but had to light something by which to make repairs, so he walked to a nearby house to ask for a lantern. The farmer who lived there accompanied him back to the wagon and they helped him to make the repairs. He offered the lantern to the postman so that he would have a light by which to finish his trip home. Just as the farmer started back to his own house, he heard a yell from the postal carrier. The farmer saw that the bundle had rolled down the hill and was now right next to the wagon. The postal carrier demanded to know the identity of the bundle, but when the bag refused to reply, the man cursed at it. Suddenly, the bundle hopped into the air and knocked the man so hard in the back of the head that he fell from his seat. Then the bundle vanished. Who or what this odd little creature was has never been decided, but suffice it to say the story makes a unique addition to the stories of strange creatures in the region. Witches, phantom cats, a mysterious spook in a bag, well, all part of the weirdness that's Alton, but what about one of America's most famous monsters? Yes, the Mississippi River Bottoms near Alton is also alleged to be the home of Bigfoot. Since the early 1900s, there have been reports of strange man-like beasts that resemble a cross between man and ape. The stories of these creatures predate the coining of the name Bigfoot in the 1950s and have been around almost since the first settlers arrived in the area. Documented reports began around 1912, when a young woman and her brother spotted several huge hairy monsters in the woods near their home. In 1925, a man with a face like an ape and covered in brown hair was spotted just outside of Alton. In 1929, what looked like a huge gorilla was seen in the woods, and in 1941, a local minister who was hunting squirrels saw something that looked like a baboon in the brush with him. He fired a warning shot, and it disappeared in some underbrush. For nearly two decades, between the 1940s and 1960s, huge prints were frequently discovered in a swampy area along Indian Creek. The creature leaving the tracks was dubbed the Gooseville Bear. Its name came from the tiny community of Gooseville, 
which is about three miles east of Bethalto on Route 140 and not far from Alton. Many locals insisted that the tracks belonged to an actual bear, but others insisted they were too much like those of a man, just really, really large. Whoever or whatever made the prints, no one ever saw it. Eventually, they just stopped, leaving the mystery of the Gooseville Bear unsolved and leaving a community on edge for about 20 years. In May 2004, another weird monster incident occurred on Maple Island, a wildlife preserve located just across the Mississippi River. The heavily wooded area is a popular spot for bird watchers, fishermen, and outdoor enthusiasts, and in other words, the perfect place for Bigfoot to be hiding. A man and his nephew had gone over to the island to do some fishing. They were at a boat ramp early that morning, getting ready to put their boat into the water. It was still dark outside, so they were startled when a man walked up to them. He was looking for help. He said he'd been fishing nearby and that, quote, some crazy person was throwing rocks at him from the woods. He looked around, but had only seen the man and his nephew nearby. The rocks, he claimed, had been thrown from some woods on the other side of a small creek about a hundred feet away. Some of the rocks were so large that if they'd hit him, he could have been seriously hurt. Curious, the nephew got a powerful spotlight out of the truck and aimed it at the trees. He later swore that he saw a set of bluish-white eyes looking back at him. The eyes turned away and all three of the men heard someone, or something, running away through the trees. Whatever it was, he later said, it sure sounded big. But of course, of all of the monster legends of Alton, there is none greater than that of the Piazon. As a sort of monstrous mascot of Alton, a modern rendition of it can be found painted on a bluff just outside of town on the Great River Road. This is not a recent work of imagination. Centuries ago, the painting was a petroglyph that showed two views of the mysterious creature. The original painting was first described by French explorers Marquette and Joliet in 1673. In his journal, Father Marquette wrote, As we were descending the river, we saw high rocks with hideous monsters painted on them, and upon which the bravest Indian dare not look. They are as large as a calf, with head and horns like a goat, their eyes are red, beard like a tiger's, and a face like a man's. Their tails are so long that they pass over their bodies and between their legs, under their bodies, ending like a fishtail. They are painted red, green, and black, and so well drawn that I could not believe they were drawn by the Indians. For what purpose they were drawn seems to me a mystery. The monster became a landmark on the river. Another explorer wrote about the Piazza in 1698. In 1820, Captain Gideon Spencer asked the local Native Americans about the significance of the monster, and they told him it was a thunderbird that had been placed there long ago. Even into the 19th century, they had offered it tobacco by blowing smoke from their pipes in its direction, and had fired their guns at it to pay honor to its ferocity. In time, the original petroglyphs were lost. They had been painted on a bluff wall just below the site of the Alton Penitentiary. Prisoners at hard labor had quarried away the limestone bluff, destroying the ancient painting in the 1840s. It would not be until four decades later that William McAdams, an Illinois state geologist, created a new rendition of the Piazon, using the recollections of early settlers to the region. It was McAdams who not only saved the description of the Piazon, but also the Native American legend that explained why it had been painted on the bluff in the first place. The word Piazon, it was revealed, meant the bird that devours men. The old legend about the monster was a gruesome one. The legend was traced back to the Illiniwick Indians, who lived in the region before the white settlers came. This local band of Indians was led by a chief named Owatoga, 
and they hunted and fished the area, living a life of relative peace and contentment until the beast came. One morning, Owatoga's son, Utem, and a friend were fishing when they heard a terrible scream. They looked and saw a huge bird rising from the edge of the river. The stories say the monster was so large that it could carry away a full-grown deer in its claws, and once it obtained a taste for human flesh, it would eat nothing else. Untum said that the monster had a young man in its talons when they saw it, and it carried him away and out of sight. They returned home with the terrible news, but no one believed that a bird could have carried the man very far. They waited all day for him to escape and return, but of course he never came home. In the weeks that followed, the bird returned almost every day. It swooped down on the villagers and carried away men, women, and children. None of them ever returned. The people lived in fear, never sure when the creature might return. Owatoga knew that he had to come up with a way to keep his people safe. He went to his lodge and locked himself inside to fast and pray for guidance. He returned the next morning with a plan that had been revealed to him in a vision. Owatoga took six of his best men and they climbed to the top of the tallest bluff. The young men brought with them only their bows and a quiver of arrows that had been dipped in poison. They hid themselves beneath a rock ledge as Owatoga stepped out to the edge of the bluff. He was a willing sacrifice to the monster. He folded his arms and he waited for the bird to appear. Just then, the sky darkened and the massive wings of the monster were heard. The beast flew toward Owatoga, but as soon as the claws tore into his shoulder, he threw himself down and flattened himself in the rocks. He held tight to the roots of a tree as the monster tried to lift him into the sky. The bird beat its wings furiously, but it could not pull him loose. Owatoga delayed the bird long enough for his men to attack. They rushed out of hiding and began firing their arrows into the monster's chest. As each of the arrows found its mark, the bird released Owatoga and went backwards over the bluff. It spiraled down out of sight and they crashed into the waters of the Mississippi River. The terrible Piazaw was never seen again. Owatoga survived his wounds and he and his six warriors were hailed as heroes. As part of the celebration, a colorful tribute to the Piazaw was created on the face of the bluff where it had been defeated. From that time on, any Indian who went up or down the river fired an arrow at the image of the Piazaw bird in memory of their deliverance from the monster. When the white men settled the region, they heard tales of the Piazaw bird and assumed that it was merely a Native American legend, a tall tale, an Indian myth to scare children at night. But what if it wasn't just a story? See, this is where things started to get really weird. In July 1836, a professor at Alton Shirtliff College named John Russell decided to do a little digging into the Piazol legend. He knew that it wasn't taken seriously, but he wondered if there might be at least a little bit of truth behind the story. He started going through accounts of people who had heard the story from Native Americans and started doing some exploring in the Mississippi River Bluffs, where the story had actually taken place. What he found chilled him to the bone, so to speak. He later wrote of his discovery in an 1848 magazine article. This is what he found in his own words. Near the close of March of the present year, I was induced to visit the bluffs below the mouth of the Illinois River, above that of the Piazaw. My curiosity was principally directed to the examination of a cave, connected with the above tradition as one of those to which the bird had carried his human victims. Preceded by an intelligent guide who carried a spade, I set out on my excursion. The cave was extremely difficult of access, and at one point in our progress I stood at an elevation of 150 feet on the perpendicular face of the bluff, with barely room to sustain one foot. The unbroken wall towered above me, while below me was the river. 
After a long and perilous climb, we reached the cave, which was about 50 feet above the surface of the river. The roof of the cavern was vaulted, and the top was less than 20 feet high. The shape of the cavern was irregular, but so far as I could judge, the bottom would average 20 by 30 feet. The floor of the cavern throughout its whole extent was one mass of human bones. Skulls and other bones were mingled in the utmost confusion. To what depth they extended, I was unable to decide, but we dug to a depth of three or four feet in every part of the cavern, and still we found only bones. The remains of thousands must have been deposited here. How and by whom and for what purpose, it is impossible to conjecture. Whoa. The story of the Bone Cave was big news in the middle 19th century. The discovery was announced in magazine articles and books and backed up by other writers and explorers into the 1870s. Was this cave really the lair of the real Piazon bird? Did it really exist? Did it really carry off Native Americans and eat them? The simple answer to all these questions is, no one knows. Based on this part of the story, it's possible that there really was a Piazon bird, but to make things more confusing, none have ever been able to find this cave again. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There are many remote areas in the Alton area, overgrown by forests, lost among the bluffs, and simply forgotten. Homes, buildings, churches, and cemeteries have all just been abandoned by time, so it's very possible that the same thing could happen with natural formations like caves, hundreds of which are already scattered throughout the bluffs along the river. Could one of them contain thousands of human bones just like Professor Russell described? And if so, does that mean that giant birds like the Piazaw could be real? Maybe. Because before it ends, this episode is going to get just a little bit weirder. In April and May 1948, the Piazaw bird returned to all. Well, it might not have been the Piazaw bird, but it was some kind of giant bird, and it was scary. The first sighting occurred on April 4th. Retired U.S. Army Colonel Walter Sigmund spotted a giant bird in the sky above all. He had been talking with a local farmer and Colonel Ralph Jackson, head of Alton's Western Military Academy, when he saw the monstrous bird pass by overhead. He ruled out airplanes and gliders and was sure it was a bird, but larger than anything he'd ever seen before. A few days later, a farmer named Robert Price saw the same bird, or at least one of the same size. He swore it was bigger than an airplane. On August 10th, Mr. and Mrs. Clyde Smith and a friend named Les Bacon spotted the bird. It was so big they assumed it was an airplane until it started flapping its wings. On April 24th, an Alton man named E.M. Coleman and his son James saw the bird. They told newspapers that it was enormous with a body that was shaped like a naval torpedo. It was 500 feet in the air and cast a shadow that was the same size as a Piper Cub airplane at the same elevation. On May 5th, the bird was sighted for the last time in Alton. A man named Arthur Davidson called the police that evening to report the bird flying above the city. Later that same night, Mrs. William Stallings of St. Louis informed the authorities she had also seen it. She said it was as big as a house. A number of sightings occurred in St. Louis over the next week, including a number of reports from police officers. Ironically, though, just as public interest in the bird reached its peak, the sightings stopped. The bird simply vanished. Was the 1948 bird real? Did witnesses, including two military officers, really see something as amazing as they believed they saw? If so, then it's just possible that the Piazaw bird was real too. Maybe it's just not an old legend after all. And if that's the case, are such monsters still out there? It makes you wonder. And it should make you cautious. Keep the possibility in mind the next time that you're standing out in an open field near Alton 
and a large shadow suddenly fills the sky overhead. Was it just a cloud passing in front of the sun? Or was it something else? Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words podcast where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode 8 of season 1, which delves into the hauntings of Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, hey, it's not just us. It's not. We, <laughs> we have, have a full, we have house, a full today. house today, so yes. this is fun. So uh, Cody's sister Cassidy is here, Lisa is here, Lux is here, so if you hear... I don't know, something playing on kids' YouTube in the background, that would be Lux. That's my sister. Uh, but, uh, it might be But we are, or it could be Lisa. So, yeah, we, uh, we are, we are we're running on a full house with a, a whole boatload of monsters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about this. I, <laughs> I know you were. I know you were. This is, it's really funny, too, because, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, but the first time we ever met, you know, and I was in your, I was in your yeah. bookstore, the yeah. first time I you know, saw you, but I bought that book, the North American Monsters right. book. That's right. And I still have it, and yeah. uh, I, it's funny because there's that iconic still from the Bigfoot video yeah, right, right on, on the front, front of it. I and, remember uh, the book. Yeah, yeah, I love that book. Yeah, it, uh, and it has the Piazza bird in it. Yes. So, well, and that's kind of like this. That was one of the things about this episode is, 
you know, it's not ghosts. I wanted it to be fun, and that was what we talked about. I, I wanted this to be kind of a fun episode because, and I know we're going to get to this, but, I mean, you know, like the bundle. But um, yes. what, I know we'll get to that, but I wanted it to be a fun episode because it wasn't ghosts, but you can't have weird things in Alton without the Pines on Bird. Right. So it's we iconic. had to make it, and it didn't really fit in our River Road episode, and it's like, you know, I wanted it to, to be in somewhere. So we just did a whole episode of just... Weird things, right? The the cryptid episode, yeah. So yes, and we are. Uh, we should add that we are. Uh, we are have again escaped the confines of the past recording studios for yeah, the second we're, time. We're, we're back at back at the Indy. American Hauntings offices. And, I love which this is, place. I know it's it's fun and it's and it's a good spot for it. We just kind of make our own little recording studio in the middle of the floor. Yeah, you know, but it works. Surrounded you know? by skulls. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, it's amazing. Yeah, it is that. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I love also the uh, the first thing I wrote down for notes for this episode when you, you have the quote, not everything that haunts the history of Alton is a ghost. And I just, I love that in general. And it also just reminds me of like Scooby-Doo and it's just like all the monsters like yeah. are just people. Yeah, we're all know? just or people. Like, you know, just, I just uh, love dealing the, with meddling kids. Right. So. I love the concept of it. Um, first, okay, I want to start off. You talked about um, witches and people just went around casting spells and thinking, yeah. bewitching people. How fun would that have been back then? I know that the consequences could be. Yeah, dire. That, well, that's the problem. I mean, you know, here, you know, like that one story was about an old lady who had a bunch of cats. Right. I mean, that's like half the people I know oh. now would be, you know, strung up for witchcraft. I also want know. to state that it, it, it is true that any woman who has a bunch of cats is a witch. That is well, a fact. that is probably a true fact. You're probably right. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think anything that you, back in those days, you know, anything that you could uh, blame your misfortune on something else, I right. think, you know, and, and, you know, that was an easy target, you know, right. was it, was it, was the old lady who's probably her husband's been dead for 20 years, she's living on a farm down the road, and, you know, but some of the stuff was, I don't even know where they came up with some of this stuff, like the, you know, the woman, oh, I was spying on her, and she's hanging towels off her porch, and she goes out in the morning, and squeezes all the towels and gets her milk and then of course all of the you know the reason for that is because all of the cows in the neighborhood's milk had dried up so okay. it must be because you know this old woman had bewitched them well, and stole their milk obviously you know? and i love the uh cantankerous way you described her <laughs> yeah. and i also like you you're talking about it but i don't i don't understand the logic right so you look in the pillow and there's a full circle pillow wreath or almost a full circle and it's just like all of a sudden you're like we we got her like this this is yeah. obviously well, what's going I think, on. Well, I think these, these things, by the, by the time you're talking about settlement in southwestern Illinois, um, you know, you're talking about the, the early part, or the early, the, the first quarter of the, of the 19th century. Right. By then, people had already traveled from the east to settle into this area. They already had their traditions in place. Um, dating back to the 1600s of witches and witchcraft. Right. And so these stories about, you know, that somebody comes to the house and says, oh, you know, this boy, obviously he's bewitched because no one can figure out what's wrong with him. So it must be a witch. He's because got ADHD. Again, you're looking for an answer to anything, right? So it must be a witch. And, you know, somehow this guy knew, but I'm sure this, I know this story, I know this tradition dates back, you know, a century before this. You know, of this, you know, this wreath of feathers inside the pillow. Yeah, feathers. You know, um, and, and that, I mean, that, that used to happen. And that's one of those things that dated back to, uh, that's like a, 
a funeral tradition where they would actually take out those wreaths out of pillows. When someone died, mm-hmm. um, and I'll, I'll, I'll tie this together in a second, but when someone would die, sometimes they would open up the feather pillow that they had died on and would take out the feathers because... I mean, naturally, when you're laying on a pillow for an extended length of time, you're going to, a full feather pillow, right. you're going to push out and make a, 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 a wreath, a circle of some sort where yeah. your head was laying, especially if you haven't been moving. And they would open those up and they would often keep those wreaths. Um, they would put them in a, in a frame and keep them as a reminder of that person. Okay. Um, they Later on, uh, another mourning tradition was to take the hair of the person who died, especially women who had lots and lots of hair back then, and they would actually cut their hair and weave it into wreaths. And if you, a lot of times will go into an antique store, um, and I've seen, I went into an old, um, I was with my friend Renee Cruz, we were out in Pennsylvania, we went to this old inn, and there hanging on the wall was this hair wreath, except they didn't know it was made out of hair. That's and I said, weird on do, so you, many levels. do you know what this is? And the, the woman who owned it was, oh, no, it's just, it's been there. And, you know, the place was built like in the 1700s, you right. know, and it, it had been there for a long time. And it kind of came with the place. And I said, well, that's a dead woman's hair. <laughs> and you've got it in a wreath there in your restaurant. Right. And um, it freaked them out a little bit. Well, I mean, it's not like later. the hair is going to get into people's food, you know. I mean, it was closed up in a, in a frame. But that was a tradition when people died. There were a lot of customs in the 19th century, especially in the latter part of the 19th century, to do with death and dying. I mean, that's, um, I mean, that's a complete, that's a subject of probably numerous podcasts. Right. And, um, you know, um, people who really specialize in that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not one of them, but it's been something that has always interested me, and funeral customs and traditions are interesting. And um, in this particular case, people would take that hair and they would weave it into things. Sometimes they made jewelry out of it, like bracelets, necklaces, and that kind of thing, and it would be a way of keeping the, the person who had died with them. And they didn't see it as weird or gross morbid. Or, or morbid like we do now it's like post-mortem photographs I mean, people I, are like why would you why would they take pictures of of dead people it's right. like well that's how they had to remember them because people didn't have cameras on their phones because they didn't have phones right. and so you know when you took a picture of somebody back then that might be the only picture you ever had of them especially kids right people had to you know it was a lot of money to go have a portrait taken back then because people didn't own cameras right and so they would if a kid died and there'd never been another picture taken of them they would have a photograph taken of the baby so that they would remember them because that's the only picture they ever had was one that was taken after death right. and i know we've gotten off track no, with no, the no, feathers it's fine, but it's all the same it makes sense. types of Traditions, and also I the think, photos so. took what like a hundred years to take, so it's the only time you're gonna yeah. get somebody to stay still. Yeah. Well, there's that too. <laughs> to get so a really good picture. You had to really stand still for a long time, and if you're dead, well, it was a lot easier. Gosh, so I mean, I'm not. I don't want to say that our funeral traditions now are that make that. They're much been more very sense. vanilla now. Yeah, but I know. I do want this on record. I want two kegs on either side of my <laughs> casket. I want everyone that comes in to get a little bag of tortilla chips, and I'm holding the salsa. That's a, that's and, a way to go. You know, I Why want people not? to have you fun. You should get whatever you want. I want people to have fun. Tell the I'm worst stories about me. I'm starting to lean toward a Viking funeral. So oh, is I'm that thinking they that you put sea you out on boats and, set, you on and fire? set it on fire. That's I think amazing. That would be really cool. Right? That'd be a good way so, to go. Yeah, that's awesome. So, well, okay. That's now on record too. Yes, so as long as yeah, I'm just happy that we have this down and recording. Okay, so I digress a little bit. So now we're going to go to something that makes. Uh, get, get back to something that makes sense. So tell me or about the bundle. It. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I love that story. 
about the bundle. And um, it's it's a little, it, it actually took place a little south of Alton, but it was around in the area. Yeah. And it was one of those kind of settlers traditions. But it's such a great story that, and it's so weird that I just wanted Very to weird. include it because uh, any chance I had to talk about this ghostly white laundry bag right <laughs> that's all in my head all i can see is a laundry bag like yeah. with but like with the corners like four corners of a bag yeah and he has little feet <laughs> on the bottom corners and little hands at the it's top corners cute, and it's kind of fun right. and it's like why would anyone be scared of this white bag i mean i guess it if just wants friends i guess if you're just riding down like you're in a wagon and you're going down this dark road at night and all of the sudden a a big white pillow yeah. comes run, running out of the woods. I mean, I, I just start to laugh. It's like I a mean, costume I would from just, Charlie Brown. Or I would something. like to hang out with this bag. I mean, I would just <laughs> like to just like be his friend. Well, but if, I mean, to me, it, it sounds like, it, I, as I told you we were recording, it always reminds me of like um, Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before right. Christmas. He's right. like a big bag, you know, except he's full of like bugs and stuff. So I'm not, <laughs> I don't want that. But just this fun little like animated bag. I mean... Why is that scary? Yeah, right. I don't It'd know. Make for it's, a great it, children's cartoon. Or yeah, something, it would. I mean, I could see why the I could see why the postman didn't believe in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get it. Right. I, I totally get it. Why he wouldn't think that was could possibly be real? Yeah, but I, you know. I was when I was reading the story, uh, I was just thinking how like it's all it's always comes back to like hitchhiking and hitchhikers and mm -hmm. people that just jump up into your car yeah. or your wagon. But or see, whatever. I can I can yeah. understand why that would be scary. While I would love to meet a vanishing hitchhiker who would disappear out of my car, yeah. that would be awesome. I could see why it would be scary. Oh, absolutely. Um, because you know you you pick somebody up, they get in your car with you. But but you're right. That is like the beginning of the traditions of the vanishing hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. Were were people on horseback? I mean those stories kind of really came to life during the era of America's fascination with cars. I mean, starting in the, you know, the, the early 1920s when everybody had a car, yeah. you know, um, that's when those stories really started to come to life. But if you go back and really trace the beginnings of it, they do go back to horse and buggy days mm -hmm. and riding on horseback. And they weren't always fun little bundles of laundry or whatever the bundle was. <laughs> right. um, they were they were these ghostly girls who showed up who needed to ride to the cemetery. And I think that much more terrifying than picking one up on the side of the road in your car would be riding your horse through the woods at night yeah. with no lights, no, you know, there's no street lights, there's no headlights, you don't have the lights on the dash in your car, and suddenly there's a girl behind you in the saddle or yeah. next to you on the wagon seat. Right. That would be scary. That's cause for alarm. The laundry bag again, not so much. Especially but I, you when know. you, you uh, talk about it, and I just imagine it like n like barrel rolling down a hill and then jumping <laughs> yeah. onto the yeah. wagon. Like that'd be fun. <laughs> but yeah, the girl. I, I mean, a girl asked me to take her to the cemetery. Maybe I'm weird, but I kind of like that. But I understand why. But I the can average see why person, it would be scary. Yeah, right. Would absolutely. not. Oh, jeez. Okay. So back to the the stories. So Bigfoot. Um, Here's my issue with this. So Bigfoot is, you know, su supposed to be sighted pretty much everywhere, everywhere I mean, all over the much. world. But well, all but different though. Well, but yeah. Not, you know, we're not talking about. And I think these Alton stories, or the Alton area stories, or the American Bottoms, really is what they they refer to that area along the Mississippi. American Bottoms. Yeah, yeah. That's what that whole area is called. <laughs> I didn't know um, that before. They talk about these like river apes or swamp apes mm -hmm. 
um, it's not the same as like Bigfoot, I guess. I mean, okay. don't get me wrong. I'm not an expert on this. I, I'm not. Um, You're not. I find it interesting. No, I'm not. I uh, I find it interesting, but um, that is a whole. It's like UFOs. It, it's interesting, but that's a whole area. It's a it's a really big rabbit hole that I have no interest in in going down right. too far. No, that's fine. Um, but but I do find it interesting. But I think we're talking about with these types of Bigfoot. Um, you're not talking about like the ones that they talk about, like in Washington or Oregon or up in the mm-hmm. mountains somewhere with these, you know, eight feet tall, giant, you know, yeah. they're, they're talking about these things that are these hairy creatures that live along the river bottoms that don't seem to fit in the category of something that is indigenous to this area. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be here, you right. know, but yet here they are. Well, the reason it, it doesn't jive with me so well is I think what's going on is it's profiling. I think there were, what, 37 saloons in Grafton? Well, I think this is a drunk, hairy guy walking around <laughs> stumbling that in the woods. possibility as well. <laughs> people are just, like, don't know how to describe it. That's, I mean, what's more probable? But the story that freaked me out, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and you know, I know. And I, I agree with you. It, a lot of it is really so vague and so little, you know, exists right. that you don't know what to think. But the story from 2004, though, I mean, that... That story about the people across the river in the in the nature preserve, you oh, know where yeah. that's at, right? Is that is it right Maple at, Island? Yeah, Maple Island, right across the Mississippi. Well, so the, when I was reading that, I was thinking, I'm, I'm not trying to like debunk anything, but I was thinking, this sounds just like somebody like on meth or something. Well, just a really I know. strong individual I know. And, being but, crazy. Well, and but I, this guy, this guy was talking about rocks being thrown for like a hundred feet. Yeah, right and, yeah, right. and big enough that if they'd hit him, they, they'd have do like, some damage. Cracked his skull, and was. You know, if it had been just one guy down there fishing at night, that's that's usually a recipe for a lot of bad things. Right. Um, but you know, if it had been just one guy, but then here's a couple. This this guy and his nephew would come out here early in the morning. Who are a couple of like you know, I don't I don't know. I can't speak for the guy they met. Right. But they, they didn't they didn't know him either. But so this is a pair of guys who did see something. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, we're pretty freaked out by what they saw. Well, where can you can you describe where this is though? I'm yeah, it's right across. True. It's right across the river. Um, you know where you go to uh, if you go across the Clark Bridge mm-hmm. into Missouri. On the, if you go over onto the right is the Lincoln Shields. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. used to be Sunflower Island. Right, right. This is the other side. Okay. And it's that big open area. There's nothing over there. I mean, it's just woods where there's like a lighthouse swampy. Yeah, there's just nothing right there in that little area. Okay, and it is um, it's set aside as a is is kind of a nature preserve, and it's pretty untouched. Right, and you know the theory about these things, these apes or whatever they are that 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 roam along these rivers. Yeah, and that's where a lot of the sightings take place. I mean, along the Mississippi and the Ohio and the Illinois, and you know you get down and you you remember. I don't know if you're familiar with that the. The the big, real famous story out of Arkansas about the Boggy Creek monster, I you know don't the think yeah so, the no. legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek, and it was a documentary that was done back in the seventies, mm-hmm. and it became like a real big thing because it was about a real creature that was being sighted. But all of the stuff seems to focus around rivers, like they they kind of travel along the rivers, it's or water, thing. right? <laughs> kind of feed there, or whatever, right. you know, whatever. Um, again, I'm not a zoologist or a cryptozoologist, right. so. Um, but I think this is an area where it, it kind of fits yeah, with absolutely. the sightings, the other sightings that are going on. For sure. So, you know, I throw it out there uh, because it's weird. I and love it's it. Alton. And no, I, I love it. So, I love it. And, I mean, I think it deserves to be talked about. And, yeah, I mean, this does make sense for a place, you know, 
for something like that to be if if something like that it's exists. It's going to be anywhere. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. It's going to be around Alton, right? All right, I want to get to the heavy hitter, the one that we couldn't skip over and we couldn't figure out how to fit uh, in any other yeah, episode. so we had to build an episode around it. Right, yeah. so the pie saw bird. My first question has to be, so they were offering it secondhand smoke as a tribute? Yes. Whereas <laughs> well, nowadays, people I know, upset about I know, it. but that was, that was a way of paying tribute back then. So, well, the other thing was is that they would blow puffs of smoke at it, but then they would shoot at it, too. But I thought, <laughs> and, well, okay. Um, yeah, yeah uh, but I think, I'm getting mixed messages. I know. Bows and arrows and rifles. And, you know, they used to say, and part of some of the, I mean, I didn't want to quote from all of the writing about this stuff that this Russell guy had done, but he did a lot of writing and a lot of investigation into the, you know, the actual, was there really a story behind this? Russell's the thing. professor. Yeah, the, the one cave. who found the cave. Right. And McAdams is the guy who actually created that. Um, the, what we now see as the picture of the Piazal bird, mm-hmm. um, the only things that existed before that looked not, were really crude, really rough looking. Yeah. And he created that um, that picture that we know as the Piazal bird from recollections of settlers, mm-hmm. um, early settlers who had been living there before it was destroyed. Right. And so he tried to come up with the best thing that he could. And mm-hmm. I, I'm sure there was probably some dramatic flair to it. Well, In course. fact, there have been some people who questioned whether it had wings. Oh, really? um, Well, it turns out that, and again, he kept digging. And the reason he put wings on it is because there was a settler who had actually used to go up when he was younger and climb up on the bluff mm-hmm. to look at the Piazal bird. And he said that you would only see the wings after it rained. When the rock got wet, then you could see the outline of the wings. But hmm. when it dried, they had faded more than the rest of the petroglyph had. Right. So he, he was convinced, he was sure that it had wings. Yeah. So it fit the story. And he was trying to legitimize as much of the story as he could mm-hmm. and, and see if there was any truth to it. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the thing about the cave... Um, it's frustrating. It, well, it's interesting. Um, right, and it is right. frustrating. It's, it's, interesting it's frustrating because it was so widely reported. Um, it, you know, he published it in literary magazines of the time, and it, it spread, and it was it picked up all over the country. Yeah. It was in a lot of different things. And then it was confirmed by someone else who claimed they saw it. But... No one has ever found it since. Yeah. No one's seen it since. And I guess the thing about it that bothers me is you're talking about the, the mid-1800s into the latter part of the 1800s, uh, pre- and post-Civil War. And there were a lot of stories that were in newspapers back then that mm-hmm. weren't necessarily accurate. I don't um, know if I believe that. Hold yeah. One second. Yeah. Um, you know, there were stories that read about how there were... Men with wings who lived on the moon, um, you know, people who saw cities on Mars, and right. people would read this stuff in the newspaper and believe it because, well, it was in the newspaper. I'm glad we've come so far today that people oh, yeah. don't just right, believe exactly. things See, like that. My, my point is, is that fake news um, been has been around for you know a century and a half, um, and that's not to say that he didn't find this cave yeah. because, again, you can't you can't prove that he didn't. Right. I mean, we haven't been able to prove that he has. It's easier to prove something exists than this right. something doesn't exist. Right. right. And we haven't been able to prove that it doesn't exist because, we, again, we haven't been able to find it. Yeah. Um, and he swore it was true. So, I mean, he was, I mean, he was a professor. I mean, it wasn't like it was some guy who just was 
Joe Blow, who came up with a great story. Right. He has a little bit of credibility. Yeah, he does front, have some credibility. You would hope. Being a professor. And um, I think that that does add some legitimacy to the story. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see the cave. Yeah. Believe me. Of course. I'd love to see it. Um, but I will also tell you, there is a lot of open land along that river. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of area out there that people have never seen. I mean... Some of the places, I mean, I've been out there and explored some places with people who are, you know, natives to the region and mm-hmm. taken me out. I mean, there, I, we found houses, you know, churches just completely abandoned and right. haven't been touched for years just because they're almost impossible to get to on those bluffs. Yeah. If there's no road that gets there, the only way to get to some of this stuff now, because mm-hmm. the roads are long gone, right. is to climb up the side of the bluff. Right. And I mean, how much of the bluffs have we blown up oh, and exactly. stuff anyway? And, and changed or just washed away yeah. or eroded over time. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that we don't or can't easily get to. We talked about some of the stuff in our Grafton episode. We talked about Baby Hollow. I mean, yeah. somebody's private property now, but that's not a place you could just stroll up to now. But everybody used to go there at one time. Right. So is the cave there? I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't. I wish I could say one way or another. Yeah. But it does make you wonder about the story. Of course. I mean, if that cave is real, then that seems to point to the fact that maybe the Piazza story is real too. And you know what? I I was thinking about it a lot. Um, It reminds me, especially from the book, it reminds me a lot of, I mean, it's different legends and lore, but it reminds me of the Jersey Devil a lot. It is. It does The way it's described. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I just, I made that connection. I was kind of thinking about it. And um, I mean, that, that's a whole nother thing we can can dive into. Um, And a few other things I, I noted, uh, I know we mentioned before, like trying to get these names right, but the Oga, o- Owatoga. Yeah, well, that's the best pronunciation. I can it find. reminds me. I just keep thinking of like a math problem or like the the, the <laughs> sine cosine tangent stuff. I, that's all it was bringing <laughs> yeah. up in my head. So it was yeah. really hard for me to to concentrate on that. Um, the last, well, actually, this two last things. Uh, one, the bird that devours men is just a badass. I know, I, right? I, I love that. Right, I know. I love that. And the last thing I was thinking, um, one of the people that was a witness, I guess, was Les Bacon. I know. I saw, right then, I don't I trust the guy. Too. Who wants Les Bacon? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that and that that stuff, and again, it's one of those things, and I, I don't know that we can really connect the 1948 stuff to the Piazza bird. Yeah. But it's weird. It's super I mean, weird, the giant sure. bird thing is, and, and I've got friends who are are in this field. This is what they do. These, the giant, the monsters, the giant birds, okay. and all this stuff. Um, and uh, Ken Gerhard uh, is a guy, I've known him for a number of years, and he lives down in Texas. Mm-hmm. And he has been studying winged bird sightings and monsters for forever. And right. he, he really digs into this stuff. And he has always been fascinated with these 1948 sightings because there were so many people who were involved in that and not just in Alton, but once it got over into St. Louis, and I didn't get into much detail on yeah. that, but um, there were a couple of police officers that chased this thing, mm-hmm. you know, through the city, this, these giant birds, and it's like, you know, you don't know what to think of this because, I mean, could it have been? I mean, there's lots of cases where you could you see something and you think, oh, that thing is gigantic, and it's yeah. really not that big, but right. it seemed big at the time. Could it have been a big vulture? Sure, you know, but right. you know, are there birds? big enough to really carry somebody away yeah i mean okay well you know i i I would say no you know other than if it wasn't for this 
that, that and I just gave you a note about it and I said ask me about this because in the summer of 1977 was it 40 years ago this summer mm -hmm. um, there was uh, a kid named Marlon Lowe in a town called Lawndale Illinois yep. which is uh, just uh, it's up near Bloomington it's okay. in the Bloomington area and he was out playing in the yard with some friends and his mother was inside the house heard screams ran to the door, looked out, and saw two gigantic birds over the backyard, one of which had picked up this kid, who I think was like eight or nine years old at yeah. the time, picked him up and was trying to carry him away. Oh, my God. Got him all the way the length of the backyard, mm -hmm. several feet off the ground, rising, and the kid you know, Shook himself squirmed loose. himself loose yeah. from this bird and fell, and the birds took off. They called the police... And more people saw these birds. It wasn't just this family. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the like the next over the next several weeks, all the way through Illinois, yeah. running from the Bloomington area all the way down to uh, almost to southern Illinois and then out of the state, people kept reporting seeing these gigantic birds. Mm -hmm. The same, probably the same birds, all the way that summer through Illinois. Flying, landing, taking off, but never carrying away any more kids. Right. But and you know while they didn't carry him away, the fact that that it could carry him as far as it did, and then yeah. and you know there were several eyewitnesses to this. I mean, this is not this isn't one of those things where somebody made this up and yeah. it was a UFO and did experiments on them. This right. was people saw this bird. Yeah. And then saw the birds right after the fact. So mm -hmm. they were really there. I mean, the birds were actually there. Right. And uh, there's no reason to disbelieve this story uh, because, um, I, I, from my understanding, it, I mean, it really kind of messed this them up. Yeah, I, I mean, bet. Well, I bet. because, you know, people who didn't believe it, who didn't see it, you know, teased them, you know, teased the family. Right. You know, they used to leave dead birds on their porch and oh. stuff. I mean, just stuff like that. It's and, one of the worst. But, I mean, I really honestly think that something happened. Well, I mean, that sets a you new know, precedent, right? To know that a bird could, in fact, could do it. pick some, somebody right. up like that. Right, could do it. It was big enough to do it. And, bird, like, you ever, you know, see, like, a, a falcon or something up close, even, like, on a glove of somebody from a zoo or whatever, like, they're scary. Yeah, I mean, they, they have are. those talons, you know, and imagine a giant one Well, like you that. get into, you get into, uh, you know, uh, like, these these condors and stuff that yeah. you know have these eighteen foot wingspans. Right. You know I've seen them in zoos, but I've never seen them come flying by my head. Yeah. But if I did, I don't think I'd be very happy about I, it. If I just know? looked outside and saw you know my kid being take you know bird grab, I, I think it would take my brain a minute to process like yeah. what's actually going hey, on. Yeah. What's happening here? Yeah. That's I agree so with crazy. You. I agree with you because you know one of my favorite one of my favorite weird things, and I can't even say this fits into like the zoology or cryptozoology thing because it's so bizarre so is, this um, is bizarre this is even more bizarre okay all right i'm, I'm there ready there it. have been stories for years about the the legendary thunderbird photograph okay. i've written about it i don't know how many times people have sent me a hundred different pictures that are you know that they found online somewhere that are photoshopped pictures of cowboys and soldiers standing over this giant dead bird yeah. but there, there was an article that ran in the Tombstone Epitaph in the 1880s about these cowboys who shot down this giant bird outside of Tombstone, Arizona, mm -hmm. and had brought it in, and they put it up next to a barn, and they measured it and how big this thing was. Yeah. And it really did run in the paper. It's a real article. But somehow, somewhere along the line, someone remembered seeing a photograph 
of this giant bird. Mm-hmm. And it became one of those things where it became a quest because there were people that were like famous cryptozoologists who supposedly showed a picture, this photograph on a television show in the 1970s and all these things. But no one has ever been able to find this photograph. So it's become like this anomaly of its own. Mm -hmm. I mean, as if the the giant Thunderbird isn't bad enough, right? right? Now the photograph of the Thunderbird has become its own weird thing. Right, wow. Where people remember seeing it. And listen, I'm, I'm, I swore for years. Now I'm, now I'm not convinced I ever saw it. Right. Now I think it's become <laughs> like a collective it. consciousness thing. But right. for years, I was sure I had seen this picture. Yeah. Either in an old book or in an old magazine because everybody thought, well, maybe it was in like one of those old, and this is, this is way before your time and you may not be familiar with them at all, but back in the 60s and 70s, there were men's magazines, and I'm not talking about like Playboy. I'm talking right. about men's like adventure magazines. I got a book around around about them somewhere here, but they were had names like True, and they, which had Hemingway on the cover all the time, right? Because they right. were real men magazines, and right. it was True and Saga and Quest and all these very like, macho one name sounding yeah. magazines, you know. And they would always have stories about, well, they did a lot of Bigfoot stories Mm -hmm. in True and Saga, especially. And they would always have like, you know, Hemingway and Robert Rourke and all these guys were big game hunters of the era. And they were always, you know, I survived the attack by headhunters. It was always that kind Uh of stuff, right? And so they were, they were a step up from the old pulps from the thirties. They were, but they were men's magazines and, you know, and men's because Women's would never women would never read these magazines. I mean, they were you know they were very macho magazines, yeah. and but everybody became convinced they were in there. Well, years ago, I when I had I worked to, I had a I used to own an old bookstore, and we used to it was a giant warehouse and we just piles of stuff, and I must have gone through combined thirty years of various men's magazines, and I found lots of articles about Bigfoot. Yeah. And things, but never found the Thunderbird photograph. So it became like this quest for me for a long time. I finally gave it up because I've become convinced we've all imagined we saw this photograph of these men standing with this giant bird that looks like a pterodactyl. You know, and uh, but online you can go online and look for it. You'll find fifty of them. Yeah, I mean, there's all these Photoshop pictures that are out there now. Um, But at the time, this was this was. Early '90s when yeah. this really started going around, so there was no internet. So, and then when the internet came along, that it really became a quest. Yeah. And but this giant bird thing, I think, has just fascinated people. And the Alton stuff that the Pinesaw bird ties into these 1948 things, and some of them go back even further. I mean, into the 1800s, there was a, a, an incident in Missouri where a school teacher claimed that. Uh, a giant eagle picked up one of her students and was never seen so again. That's why she uh, lost the kid. Right, that exactly. Was the right. So, you know, yeah. So it's just one of those things that has been around for so long, and the Piazzal bird just sort of fits into it. Yeah. You know, and it was one of those things where, you know, well, I mean, you know what? You said it best. We couldn't figure out how to get this story into another episode we had so we had to talk about it we had to build it in so hopefully you enjoyed this episode and you're still listening and haven't turned it off because yep. i know i went off on a tangent here with thunderbird photographs and and cowboys but you oh, know wow. i just think it all kind of ties together 
And, well, that's what we do here. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, go off on tangents, unfortunately. And, so. and my, my favorite part, and I think it's kind of fitting for, for the outro, but my favorite part is that after, you know, they killed the Piasol bird, they would just kind of walk by and, and shoot arrows and stuff. And it's kind yeah. of like seeing some, a place you don't like and flipping it off yeah, on yeah, the car. Yeah, same kind you know? of thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. I hate that place. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. So. Oh, man. All right, you, right should we, wrap uh, we, it up, we should wrap it up. Um, you know, and listen, if you've made it this far into the podcast since it wasn't about ghosts, thank you. Thank you um, so much. But if you, if you did and you, you like the show, please, we're, we're begging you to re- give us reviews on iTunes. A lot of you have been really great and have put something up, and we really appreciate that. Um, Very much. You know, good or bad, whatever. Um, it's, it's hard to explain to everybody how it works, but... By giving us reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us. We're, we're yeah. not trying to get you to, to kiss our ass. We're, we're really not. Yeah. We just want you to put something up so it's easier for new people to find us. And with that said, pass it on to your friends. Um, if you've got people who don't listen to the podcast and you think they would like it, pass it on. Um, you know, we, uh, we, we, we are trying to listen to your comments. We yep. have taken, we, we, we have taken to, you know, a lot of things you've set us into consideration. We've, we've added to the episodes. We've made them longer because yep. a lot of you had asked for that. And, um, so we, we do listen, we do read the reviews. We do listen to your emails and your posts and your comments, and we appreciate all of them. And, um, anyway, keep listening, keep sharing and, um, Thanks again for listening. Yeah, we really appreciate it. It blows my mind every time I get an email saying, like, someone signed up for email updates from you. You know, we're over 100 now. And then I look at the download numbers, and I'm like, who wants to listen to this bullshit about this? But it, it, it means the world to me <laughs> yeah. that people cared or interested. So, yeah, thank you very much. The purpose of this podcast is to combine historic record, folklore, scientific method, observation, and imagination in order to teach you a little bit more about America's most haunted places, including the town of Alton, Illinois. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to www.americanhauntingspodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. You can find Troy on Twitter at TroyTaylor13 and on Facebook by searching for the Troy Taylor author page or by going to Facebook.com slash AuthorTT. You can also check him out at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brockes at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois. Find them at LighthouseSounds.com. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast, and since everyone hates Mondays, we decided to change it to Tuesday. So tune in every Tuesday to receive a brand new paranormal history lesson.